0: So Triumph brought us all the way out here to Gatorback, Florida, and we get the opportunity to ride a really cool bike, a brand new bike, at a really cool track, and we have articles that we're going to write in the magazine, we have videos that are coming out, um, videos out testing the bike, and we always get to do the coolest things as editors for Test Riders. You've raced in 40 countries, 41, I believe 41 countries. Yeah. So you need to get two more to match your year, your, your age, right? Yeah. Need a couple more. Uh, So we always get to do really cool stuff. And, but then the grind of like producing a video that's entertaining enough to keep people watching it, you know, you kind of, you kind of just got to keep, keep it, not light, but it's harder to get into the technical details. It's harder to share every bit of information that we learned while here. And uh, in the job that we have, we don't have a ton of free time. So we haven't been doing podcasts, but I feel like today's a good day to do a podcast and talk about why, uh, you know, just the, the behind the scenes of how this how this trip was. So it is currently nine twenty-one Monday after riding Monday night. Trevor's editing videos, and uh, we're hanging out in the hotel room. Dennis, did, what? Uh, were you? Are you happy that you came out here? Yeah, definitely. You know, uh,
1: it all starts with with the beginning of the journey, right? I've flown so much in so many media events. So many times to the Middle East and Asia and all these places. I'm just so happy when I get to fly out of Ontario Airport. Right? <laughs> right. It, yeah. Like, I pull in and park, and I'm like, not in a rush. I'm not panicked. I don't have to worry about, does my Ford Transit fit in this parking lot? Because that one's full. And then, poof, you pull on the parking lot, and we're cruising over. And, yeah. You know. It's pretty It's nice not having to go to LAX. <laughs> yeah. It just it starts the whole trip. There's no stress. Yeah. Got on the airplane. It was easy, quick layover in Texas. Yeah. You know, I was able to get cool little breakfast bowl and a Starbucks. And yeah, trip was good. It starts out good, kind of goes good. Yeah. Um, obviously, when you come to these media intros, you have cool people. You know, we walk into the hotel. You and I are. Walking around and you're like, hey, we should ride the bicycle and we can't find the bicycle because the gym's hidden behind the bar. Yeah. And then we're laughing and then we get in there and who do we see? Jeff Stanton. Yep. Next thing you know, everyone's talking. Everyone's pedaled on the bicycle for an hour. Yeah. Not me. I slacked. (laughs) Um, I did go back down and get 15 minutes with some shorts on. Yeah. But it was just cool. Like uh, open environment, talking to six-time champion Jeff Stanton. Yeah. About just random stuff, you know, I didn't really realize how cool the writing was in Michigan. Yeah. He does these adventure schools. He does like six to eight a year, um, Triumph back some. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and the backstory of that was interesting too, right? About Honda. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, he's was a Honda guy his whole life and couldn't, couldn't get it to happen with them and happen with triumph. And, you know, you slowly see him and Ricky doing a few things and and then you put the puzzle together as you're sitting there and talking to him you're like oh well this is cool and yeah it's just a cool experience and as you get older you realize why some people were a champion yep i mean he's 55 years old still he was still in the gym in good shape yeah sweating not breathing heavy talking to us normal conversation on the bicycle on the bicycle grinding
0: yeah i uh, hopped on the bicycle like we started talking, I was like, "This is this this is going to keep going." We had like two hours to kill before dinner and before the presentation, and it worked out perfectly because we get to hang out with Jeff Stanton in the gym. We get to pick his brain about what's going on, and and that's when we got to talk about the embargo. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, you kind of caused that problem. <laughs> it really,
1: was, I mean, it was a fun problem meeting of the minds. Yeah. So you know, we we talked about that, and Triumph hasn't done motocross intros before it's new for them so talking to Jeff about the embargo and why it's good and why it's bad and uh the street and car magazines and those people have a different program at intros yeah um they use a lot of people that are putting the intro on they use a lot of their photographers a lot of their video guys yep yeah. it's all spaced out and it's not quite such a panic or rush like motocross yep yeah. And yeah. then it worked out I thought for the good. We got to ride all day. I actually got to ride more than normal at this intro. Yeah, for sure. Because of the embargo
0: they did. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the backstory is Triumph didn't have an embargo, which means that as soon as we get there, we can start posting review videos and talking about uh, you know, the the bike and how it was. And normally, you know, an embargo means that You can't post any reviews until that time. So, of course, you can post photos, you can post riding clips, but you can't explain if the bike is good or bad. And so when we got here, and, you know, I talked to Eric from Triumph on Monday last week about the embargo. I said, hey, are you doing an embargo yet? Do you know? He said, oh, we're not doing it. I'm like, "Uh, I think you're going to want it um, because we're all competitive here in different media outlets, and we want to win, and we want to have the most views on YouTube, and uh, just a competition, just another race. So we, uh, you know, if there is no embargo, that means you need to test as quick as you can and get Trevor to start editing the video because he wants to, he wants to be the first one to post it and, uh, and, you know, get people, you know, seeing what's going on. And, uh, if there's no stopping us, then, Sometimes you have to go quicker and then that doesn't mean that testing is sacrifice. Like we never sacrifice on testing, but that means that you're not relaxed. You're not uh, going as long as you normally would. And then the the video normally ends up being like, well, this is just the first day we got a lot of stuff we want to try tomorrow and the next day and the next day when we take the bike home. But today we got a more comprehensive review because we got to, ride we put over three hours 3.2 hours on the bike today between you and me and we were out there quite a bit um and so. we got to eat lunch Norm-
1: and normally it's a had, full panic they had, they and they there's took no a whole, eating
0: they took a whole hour for lunch got lunch i never get to eat lunch i mean i learned that from daryl Eckland because you know when we go we, we bust our butt we're here to test for motocross action so we have to live up to the to the standard that jody starts which you know more than i do that you test and you go, uh, you go hard and you, you, you exhaust all options. You ask all questions. You learn as much as you possibly can so that we can have a, a technical, uh, product, a magazine article, video review, website review, you know, so that people can learn as much as they can and, you know, be the best educated by reading our product of our review. So Jody sets that standard. Daryl, you know, kept, that standard, and then it's like, yeah, you don't get to take your helmet off, you don't get to drink water. Nobody's ever told me that, but that's just the the work ethic that MXA has. And so when, today, even though we had more time, Trevor and I shot video for a while, came in, filled filled up gas, and I'm feeling pretty good. And I'm like, I'm not going to dra- grab water. I'm not going to take my helmet off. And I, I kind of like to do that, just to, to show the Triumph guys that like we're pretty hardcore and kind of gain some respect. And uh so yeah, keep going, straight back out onto the track, keep testing. And, yeah, I, uh,
1: I I kinda giggled because I was sitting there. Yeah. And the lady's like, Hey, where's your bike? We need to do this face photo and yeah, yeah. And I'm like, Well, Josh is still riding. She's like, It's almost lunchtime. <laughs> and I'm like, Yeah, this is kinda how it works and you know, I'm breaking it down and I'm telling her, Yeah, hey, we gotta do photo, we gotta do video, and then you gotta do social media and yeah, you know, it's a couple hours and then she we were laughing and going about it and I was sitting there, and then you rode by, and you got some gas, and you guys went to the second track. Yeah, because they had was, two tracks. It's kind of cool. Yeah, which was really cool. Like normally, most intros we go to, there's not two tracks. Yeah, uh, obviously the main track in the front was my favorite for the day. Yeah, uh, but the back track had some booters on it. It had different dirt. The yep. dirt up on top of the hill was slippery and kind of yep. rocky. Yeah, the ruts down low were kind of deep, and yeah, it was, it was kind of cool that you had two options. Yep. Um. I felt like it was good because not all media guys really uh, always get to ride as much as people think. Yep. There's a lot more typing for a lot of the crew. Yep. Uh, we get to test and ride motorcycles a lot more than other people, but not always do they just feel comfortable going out. You know, you have Carmichael, you have Jeff Stanton, you had Ezra Lusk, you have Ping, I mean, you have Kiefer, you, the list keeps going, Pat Foster, Yeah. and pretty soon it's like, well, you have La Paglia, you know, and then not everybody wants to jump every jump, but luckily the jumps at the track were all doable. Yeah. They have a lot of mini bike races here. Yeah. So it wasn't that scary. Yeah. But uh, yeah, get lunch, actually drink some water today. That helped. <laughs> do suspension settings and go the wrong way yep. and be able to come back and stop, go back to a base setting, go back out, learn what okay i didn't like that and then go in the other direction and find things that i like yep that that's usually not as smooth of a process in the day yep as it
0: sounds yep yep no it was cool so what was your impression last night during the presentation when uh when you sat through that whole thing like how what was what was that from your perspective well obviously I thought they did an impressive job
1: at laying it out and putting the names on the screen, and uh, they spoke really well. Um, some of the English words are quite funny. Um, yeah. I forgot what they called the triple clamps, but they called the triple clamps... yokes, uh, yokes, yokes,
0: And, and it, it kind of makes sense. It's like the yoke is what holds it together. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So it the it triple took clamps me a second because I'm like, what's he... Chassis
1: what's he really talking about? Obviously the graphic one.
0: Yeah. Deck, what was funny? Decals is decals. Decals, yep. Yeah. And so, then, uh, what was the, al- aluminum is aluminum. Yep. <laughs> aluminium. So
1: those were cu- quite obvious, but the yoke one, I was like, yeah, that one took a second. It took me, I'm like, is he talking about the bars? What? Where were yeah, we I thought at? the bars at first too. Yeah. And so that, that made me laugh. And then um, everyone spoke really well. People chimed in. And then even all the other media outlets, you know, um, Michael Lindsay asked tons of questions, of course, um, nor- normal procedure for Michael. <laughs> um, but he also did his homework. I mean, he had valid, good questions. Yeah. Um, and then I was really impressed with triumph that they, we didn't have to beat it out of them where the bikes were made. Yeah, yeah. We didn't have to ask any of that. They gave lots of information. They're very open about Thailand. Yeah.
0: I love um, Thai food. Yeah. so It's a win. <laughs> Well, um I love Thai food, but Thailand, you've been there. Yep. You've raced there. Yep. What do you know about manufacturing in Thailand? Because you know a lot more about no, Asia. No, I, I
1: I've learned a little more about Indonesia. Um, I've been to some factories in Indonesia. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to race in Pune, India. Yeah. Go to some stuff over there, see some uh, other bikes that people don't always see all the time, like TVS and yeah. Hero and that kind of stuff. and then. Spending a lot of time in Philippines where they manufacture a lot of clothes. And they actually have a, a Duke plant over there for KTM. And then having quite a few friends in China and those places. And then not long ago, we went to the Austrian factory. Yep, um, I've gone Cowie Tour for MXA before. Been down to
0: multiple one-off companies through Europe. What do you think about manufacturing in thailand do you think it's i mean you don't know much about it i guess no I, I don't know much about it but they they said that it's obviously that they're going to tell us that it's the same standards of their manufacturing in the uk and all their plants you know our highest level of of uh quality i guess i i do believe if your quality control
1: crew is good i don't think it matters yeah which country you know and then i don't think people realize that Say the vendor, one of those people came from China or came from Japan. They own all the plants. yeah. And then Triumph owning their own plant, manufacturing, doing all their stuff. Like they talked about the hubs. They talked about the frame. yeah. They talked about the engine cases to find a stiffness for the engine cases to match the frame of feeling. And then they talked about the early progression of uh, the bike that they talk about, how they find the trail and the rake of the frame and the jigs and all the stuff that they did. Yeah. I think if you have the proper facility anywhere in the world, obviously it's not a problem. Yep. And if, uh, they could save a little money and produce a new bike.
0: And, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely interesting. Like even learning about the mule bike, which you know more than I do, but I talked about the mule bike was something that's, everything is adjustable on it and it's got, You know, obviously, multiple mount holes for moving the shock around, uh, different offsets they're messing with, different rake and trail they're messing with by putting different races in, obviously. And so that was pretty interesting to hear Carmichael talk about that and even talk about Carmichael talked uh, about testing Triumph products, but without a Triumph bike. So it sounded like they made a swing arm and they made, uh, you know, certain parts and then used them on different chassis. So that was kind of interesting, but, uh, fast forward to today, we had one whole day to ride the bike. Um, what were your, I mean, I guess you're, I'll say my opinion first, because I got, you know, I got on the bike without having, you got on the bike after you knew that I already liked it, but my, yeah, I mean, it, it was, people were coming in yeah, and, and, you and not it.
1: just you. Yeah. Multiple people had come in and they were not making a lot of changes. Yeah. And they were riding a lot. Yeah. So usually that's a dead giveaway. Yeah. Like I've been to intros before where you're like, hmm, everyone's back at the truck. The one suspension dude is wide open. It was wide open. They're trying to change sprockets. Yeah. That wasn't
0: happening today. Yeah. So that's a good sign. For me, the first, like when I first started up the bike, I didn't mention this in the in the video, and this is why we're recording a little podcast here because there's so many things that you miss when it's time to record the video. But the electric starter was really nice, like simple one click go. Like there was no, you know, no hesitation like a Yamaha would. Uh, Yamaha, the new Yamaha that we rode, the FX that I raced at the GNCC a couple weeks ago, that thing started up super easily every time as well. But Yamaha whatever goes on with them. Jamie, a couple of guys have said that because they have to run the Wi-Fi system, they have a couple other systems that weigh down the battery and make it harder to start. But I don't know the technical details on that, but I was impressed with how easily the bike started. Then I was impressed with how nice it sounded. Just, just idling revving up the bike and then riding it through the pits. It felt like I got on a KTM. And of course it's going to feel like that because of the Brembo clutch, Brembo brakes. Uh, it's like the Cowie 450 when I get on the front brake now that it has a Brembo in the front and I'm coming down the hill at Glen Helen. It feels like I'm on a KTM because I'm grabbing a Brembo lever and I'm feeling Brembo power on the front. Um, so it felt like a KTM that way. The, the rider triangle was spot on. Um, it felt great to me. And then first impression, getting on the track, the bike felt super, super light. And it's funny, like it's, like I'm learning as a test rider that what I feel at first is usually better than what I feel after five laps. After five laps, I'm getting more tired. You know, I'm trying to, it's it's hard to really dissect what I feel after five laps. But the first lap, that's usually like, this is what I felt. This is, that that's my opinion right now. And, uh, I was blown away by how light the bike was just the first lap around the track. And I pulled off and told Trevor, I was like, dude, I got to race this at one of the nationals this year because this is impressive. And, uh, so it was light. What, what were your, that was, you know, my first opinion. What was your first opinion? Just getting on the bike. You've got on a lot of bikes over the years.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, obviously I sat on it and I rode a lot of the Husky. The newest model, Pro Taper bars felt good right off the bat. Obviously, we use ODI grips a lot. I didn't even mention that in the so, video either. ODI so, so the lock-on grips, right? Have, have a feel. We run them on most of our test bikes. Yep. They're easy to put on. um I do run the Amy grips a lot, the glue on because I like them for comfort. Yeah, but we ride so many test bikes, and most of those are on our bikes. Immediately, that felt good, and you really like a front brake that's kind of really touchy and really far out yeah i hate that i rely a lot on the brake i'm not so much of a rear brake guy obviously i got sweet bent right leg so uh, it's really easy when we have a brimbo system compared to others where i can just do three or four clicks back from you but i don't have to change lever position but i can drag the brake a lot easier yeah so immediately we enter the track I wheelie over like the little burn where we enter on and you make a right and there's a little tabletop and I had sat there and watched you guys for most of the morning. So I already kind of saw where everyone was jumping, what jumps, maybe you needed a roll and what you could jump first lap. And I jumped that little tabletop down the hill without even knowing or rolling it. And I'm like, well, I feel pretty comfortable. Yeah. And then there's an off cam off camber left rut that went down the hill and i rolled right through the rut didn't yeah. bounce off any side drag a tire yeah not dragging and your leg right the right then i'm like okay well the momentum's already started good yeah and uh i felt pretty good except for i hadn't rode a 250f a lot lately and i didn't know how much to rev it out to jump the finish line jump yeah so then i banged third gear and obviously overjumped it like yeah. an idiot Landed out on the flat and I'm like, cool, we're doing some wheel testing, <laughs>
0: but we did do wheel testing. Yeah, we did
1: do some wheel testing, but then as I wrote I it more and more, um, I just adapted to it. And then, then it was really fun because you guys were kind of cruising around and we weren't in a rush. Yeah. And I got to go jump in and ride with Jeff Stanton. Yeah, that was cool. And, and ride with him for a lap and, and I was amazed how well he was riding. Yeah. Like, he really cleaned his ruts well. He's 55 years old, jumping all the jumps with some style. Yeah. And uh, he roosted the shit out of me. (laughs) Had white gear on. Yeah. So that part sucked, but it was cool, right? Like, I remember being a kid at Hangtown, trying to beg a jersey off of him at the National. And now I'm out there getting to ride dirt bikes with him. That's cool. And he's a part of the project. So that was really cool. Um, But initial thought, just by the time I got... Three turns into the track, I felt uncomfortable.
0: Nice. Yeah. I'd say the same. It was pretty impressive how comfortable I felt. And uh, it's always different when you're taking photos versus riding consecutive laps. And once we started putting together consecutive laps and doing some more testing on suspension, then we figured out. Well, for suspension, I knew right away that the rear was soft. And I was impressed with how much hold up the front had, the forks. And that kind of makes me question, like, once we get to Glen Helen and you put a slower guy on there, the forks might be a little stiff when you don't have as much traction as we did today and when you have, you know, some harsher braking bumps and acceleration chop. But they felt amazing today on the East Coast dirt that we had. Um, so then besides that, uh, engine-wise, I started to learn throughout the day that the, that the gear ratios were kind of tight and that you did have to short-shift it quite a bit. And one thing I thought about is the bike does uh, rev out fairly quickly, so you're hitting that rev limiter. And it, it doesn't mean that the rev limiter is low. I believe they said it's still like a 13.5, 13... 5, 13 plus? No, they said 14. 14,000? 14, yeah, 14,000. Okay, cool. So 14,000 RPM is just like... KTM and just like Cowie, and I think a little bit more than Yamaha. And so it revs high, but you get there pretty quickly because of the shorter gear ratios. So it had a 48 tooth on the rear, 1348. Uh, and with that, I expected it to be, you know, kind of sluggish off the bottom, probably needed a 50 tooth on the rear. And I, originally I thought that this morning I thought throw a 50 on there, it's going to feel a lot better. Um, get even more grunt coming out of corners. But then I started to realize why the Triumph engineers put a 48 (laughs) on the rear because they knew that it was a fairly short ratio and uh, the gearbox was a little tight. So you needed to short shift it. Um, One thing I think people at home that watch videos of me riding, we posted a video today of me riding on the Diamondback track wide open and on the rev limiter nonstop. And it sounds cool to some people, but it also sounds like the bike is slow if you got a guy riding on the rev limiter. And if you think about a slower rider that was there today um, that maybe isn't a pro and somebody back home is watching this guy who they know isn't the best rider hit the rev limiter a lot, then that tells you that the bike's slow. Would you agree with that? If you see a novice on the rev limiter all the time?
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I, I already saw comments on social media. Really?
0: Yeah, that people had
1: made, right? People threw out a lot of teasers, you know. Yeah. All all the other media brands yeah. have thrown up teasers today. Yeah. I read some comments, you know. You you obviously get the keyboard warriors, you get people that are super happy, they're probably they're trying to figure out how to buy the bike and they're all about it. Yeah. Um, but one thing that like when you're testing that I've learned over the years and Jody and lots of people have beat it into me. You got a lot of turn speed compared to normal people. Yeah. So, right. You may run out of gear and you need to be in third gear to jump the finish line. But the average consumer is going to roll through the turn, stop. And when I did that kind of stuff on the track today, I was just happy that I never had a shift or shift on a jump face. Yeah. I feel that the shift parts were all safe around the track whether I rolled through the turn really well or I stopped and jumped it in a lower gear than I maybe would. Yeah. I never had to shift anywhere on any jumps. Yeah. So did I, you were happy with the shift points points, but I wanted to be a little better. Yes. I would change gears. I would try some things or maybe work on some mapping in the future. Yeah. Uh, to find the sweet spot. Yeah. Um, I did try this, uh, Closed off airbox, and I, I really liked the entrance with the closed off airbox getting into the turn. I felt like it didn't have the idle or the RPMs up so high, so I actually rolled my turns much better with the closed off uh, airbox. Yeah, but on acceleration, obviously, it didn't have the pole. Yeah, um, so that was interesting to mess with that today, but overall, I mean, it just had that nimble light feel even revved out even lugging it uh circling back to do some photos for trevor it uh it had a pretty wide
0: range for an average consumer Yeah, i would agree um it was cool it's nice that they offer the airbox uh air, two airbox covers it comes with this closed off airbox cover And then it also comes with a vented airbox cover, which we ran most of the day because it was better for the most part. And it was interesting, like you said, uh, the benefits of the closed-off airbox cover. So um, then it's also nice that there's no tools to take that off, kind of like ATM. There's no tools to take the air filter off. It comes with a twin air filter. uh, So all those things are nice for just ease of use. One of the wild things was that the bolts are all Torx heads, uh, Torx bits, no 8mm hex No 10, heads. no 8, no 12. Yeah, it's all um, Torx. They're all round <clears> bolts. And, and when I asked Ian about that, the head of off-road, he said it's to save weight. But we learned later, talking to some more people, that they're going to change that for future models. So that's nice.
1: Yeah, you know that I, I understand race team and I understand race people but that's extra stuff a consumer may need to learn. Yeah. You know, half the people don't set fork pressure in a KTM. A lot of my friends don't even do tire pressure. <laughs> you know, so it's it's making things as convenient as possible. Yeah. And that's great for a mechanic and that's great for a racer. Yeah. But a lot of people have a craftsman toolbox or they have the they bought a- motion a- pro a- T handles or whatever they are. Yeah. And they're not all
0: mechanically inclined or they spent $300 on the super light titanium T handles that they don't need on a (laughs) Triumph. Yeah. So yeah, it's that was interesting. It was kind of weird and kind of cool to have the round, uh, Torx bits on there, but it's cool for today when we didn't have to actually work on the bike. It's probably not going to be cool when we get home and we have to work on the bike. Uh, but it is, it is something that they're trying to do to stand out to be different. Uh, rod this GM for Triumph America, he explained the acronym DCAP. And that's something that him and his crew try to implement into their work and into their brand and their bikes. DCAP stands for Distinctive, Cool, Authentic, and Premium. And when I think about Triumph now, I, I knew almost nothing about Triumph before they, entered, before they announced that they were going to enter the motocross world. I knew almost nothing about Triumph. And I still, coming into today, didn't know a lot about Triumph. But I learned a lot, you know, studying for this trip, trying to look back on some history about Triumph. Um, obviously, they had the Scramblers in the 70s, and that was kind of when motocross first started in the U.S. They were racing on Triumphs. My step-uncle's raced triumphs or not really raced, but road triumphs and Beaumont and all the hills of Southern California. And so it's been around for a long time, but, uh, I didn't know much about it. So the interesting part for me was these guys really care about their image and they, they're, they're not hipsters, but they're almost like nowadays, a lot of companies are When I say hipsters, I mean like they care about their image. They care about what people think they about them. They care about what they dress like. They care about what they look like. They care about the experience. And even on this trip, they tried to offer an experience to all of us yeah. that was exotic. Is what I'm trying to say. Exotic. Like Triumph is is working on. They want to provide you with a a way to be exotic. They want to provide value and like a cool factor that comes with it. And I think you get that with the high end brands that I don't wear. I don't wear Breitling watches or Rolex watches, but, uh, you know, those types of brands can charge big money because of the, the cool factor that comes with wearing their products or using their products and triumph, I think has done a good job with that in the street market. Obviously I'm not industry at all, so I don't understand it, (laughs) but, uh, but they're bringing that into moto and then, In the same way, they don't want to be cookie cutter in anything they do. They want to stand out and be unique, which is nice. It's nice uh, from a lot of standpoints. It's refreshing for us because we're used to testing seven different brands, but three of them come from the same company, right? So it's refreshing for us to have a totally new brand. we could talk more in in a little bit about the distinctive Differences and the similarities between Triumph and the brands we've already tested you know, that we know and love. Uh, but with, with that, the Triumph dealer network is obviously a lot smaller than Honda, Kawasaki, Yamaha, Suzuki, KTM. It's a smaller dealer network. But they're, one of the reasons it's so small is because they require so much out of their dealers. Uh, a couple notes. 400 square feet of floor space for a Triumph dealer that they have to be committed to. That's, that's quite a bit. Um, they also have to uh, commit to buying a certain amount of parts. So, I don't know, what did what you learn about like the dealership? It's kind of interesting how that works. Yeah, well, you know, one of their
1: big things is interaction with the bike. They didn't want it to be cookie cutter. Like You know, you go to some of the dealerships in California and they're on those triangle stands and they're leaned over and they're wedged in. And you actually can't walk up and learn about a bike. Yeah. If, if you are a consumer that says, "Hey, I think dirt bikes are cool. I don't know shit about it. I want to learn all about it." Yeah. They want three bikes on the floor only. They want you to be able to walk up, be able to examine, learn what you're doing. Uh, you got to have couches. You got to have a fridge. You got to have a coffee machine. You got to have water. Uh, obviously, you got to have the clothing uh, that they push and. They'll work on motocross branding style stuff Yeah. soon. But overall, it's. I, I think it'll be a cool experience. I've been to a Triumph dealer before. Um, obviously, I pass Chaparral all the time. They got a big sign. But I've never actually walked down on the floor where the sales bikes are. Yep. When I do go to Chaparral, I'm usually running in for my motocross schools to buy knee pads and all kinds of things that are on sale. So now I'll actually walk down and observe, yeah,
0: see what the triumph sections are <laughs> what they
1: have uh last year when I was in Japan, the coffee uh and bookstores and all that were quite popular with triumph. They had people riding the bikes. it was really trendy uh there's some really cool uh magazines and like books on bookstores and newsstands in Japan
0: um, with triumphs in
1: them or what yeah, triumph and like old school magazines and old school books and like yeah. And that's the history Uh, of Triumph. History of Triumph, right? Like, they have a whole different
0: atmosphere than everything we come from. Yeah. Yeah. So, their history, like I mentioned, 70s building scramblers, and the bikes that guys started racing motocross on originally. And uh, so, the dealership system is pretty interesting. Like, right now, Triumph has 200 dealers in North America. 178 are actually in the U.S., um, we already mentioned they require 400 square feet dedicated solely to Triumph in their dealership. So that means for guys who want to add Triumph, they need to make room in their dealership for, for that extra, you know, display. And then you explain, they don't want to have a jelly bean of bikes all lined up on triangles because it is kind of hard if you're new to the sport and you don't, you know, understand totally what it's all about to pull a bike off the triangle. You don't want to tip it over and tip over all 15 bikes and have to buy them, you know, or uh, scratch up brake levers in the, in the dealership so by having just three bikes on display it makes it more kind of premium or walk around it it's on a stand it just looks better which is interesting it's uh different than chaparral's normal you know walk in and just see a sea of bikes all lined up um they also said that uh by the end of this year they plan to have 89 dealers selling off-road motocross bikes for triumph so that's not a ton of dealers if you think about it 50 states 89 dealers is not a lot it's not going to get you super far so to accommodate for that they have their online program you know based off of the amazon style of having amazon warehouses all over the u.s we have a bunch of them in socal here here and there uh and when i order a part uh, a part on amazon when i order a product on amazon you know uh my wife does then it's at our house the next day so with Triumph and their website, they're talking about, you know, having a full website up to date with products and parts available to service your bike, fix your bike um, as soon as as, soon as bikes are available. Bikes are going to go on sale in three weeks. Um, so at first I was bummed because I thought that their website was going to take the place of the dealers and make things more Amazon-style where you don't need to go to the store. You could just order everything online. Obviously, I'm not a fan of that. I, it, I'm a fan of it when it's convenient, <laughs> but I'm, a, I'm not a fan of killing jobs and you know getting rid of stores and this and that. So uh, Tramp's website selling parts, to me, looked like a downsize, like a, uh, like a bad idea. But then you realize that they're actually including their dealers in their program and their dealers are acting as like warehouses almost the dealers are required to buy x amount of parts and hold x amount of parts in stock so that when i let's say i'm living in texas well let you know and i buy a new clutch cover for my triumph online it's going to be shipped from the local closest dealer in texas so that means it's not getting shipped from the u.s triumph office in atlanta where their headquarters are for the u.s it's getting shipped from my local dealer which might be only a couple hours away hopefully and and they said that you'll have the option to overnight it yeah it's pretty
1: nice so i mean if you're looking for something odd right there's in my motocross schools and things that i do right now i have multiple bikes Mm -hmm. And I need parts, and I go to a dealership looking for a part, and I'm set up as a dealer, or I get a discount at the shop, there's no parts available. Yeah, I have to drive back home, get online, order from Motorsport, or Rocky Mountain, yep. or wh- whoever it may be, because they buy all the inventory
0: for some of the other brands, and it's not the easiest. No. So it's it's cool that they're use they have the online program that's gonna help you. Since they don't have as many dealers as Yamaha, they'll be able to uh, you'll be able to buy online. But you can also choose to pick it up in store too. So I can at my house in Winchester, I can order a part and go pick it up at at Chaparral that day. I could choose to have Chaparral ship it to me or pick it up. So that's pretty cool. It's keeping the dealers alive um, by keeping them involved in this kind of Amazon style shipping program. So I think that's pretty cool. And one thing that, you know, was cool to learn about at this event, like reading the press release, it's hard to grasp exactly what they're trying to accomplish, but, uh, um, it's, it's definitely cool to get here and to be able to ask people questions. And that's why I want to do this podcast. Cause there's so much that we learn that, you know, gets stored in our head and maybe sometimes forgot (laughs) after a couple months that never gets out to the world. At least now we can, we can, uh, you know, sit in the, sit in the hotel room while Trevor edits videos and, uh, and explain some of this stuff. So asking one note I have here, we asked last, uh, we asked in the presentation about, future bikes. And, and I brought up two strokes. It didn't sound like they were very interested in two strokes. Um, but then we brought up, I think you brought up, or maybe I did electric bikes and triumph actually bought offset. Yep. Offset is a pretty popular brand for making kids, electric bikes and little trials bikes. And, uh, so they bought offset. Obviously they're going to learn from offset and continue to, make cool little electric bikes for kids to learn on and play with. Um, I think there are some adult-sized trials-style electric bikes. Right? Yeah,
1: they have a size 24 that yep. they said we could definitely play on. Nice. That might even been what they were riding around today. We did see them riding around on like a little pit bike today. Yep, so that was an offset. Um, we actually tested the MX-10 oh, really? offset kids bike. Uh, Daryl had his kid, I believe, on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really cool, and it never really... Got out there as well as I thought it was for how cool it was. Yep. Right? It looks kind of cool. It's kind of moto Price point was okay. Um, yeah. But other than that, you know, they they did mention that the 450 will be done by the end of the year. Yep. So they'll have that adding to the dealers. Yeah. Um. They and said more stuff's coming. They didn't specifically say what. Yeah. But you could tell by the offset thing that no. they're going to push some stuff in that market.
0: Yep. Um, they also did talk about kids bikes, (laughs) not officially, but kind of off the record that they do want to get yet the younger, they want to get the younger demographic on Triumph earlier. And that was really a cool thing about it. Um, backstory on the company, which was really cool to learn is that Triumph was bought in I believe 1981. So it's been around since 1902, the longest, uh, motorcycle manufacturer still, still in business still making motorcycles they said the prototype bike in 1902 was a bicycle with a motor on it and they uh, still
1: have it by the way
0: exactly yeah so that was cool and then the uh, John Bloor um, he w- is the one of the biggest manufacturers of houses in Europe and uh, and also in the UK and so he bought the triumph headquarters in Hinckley and in the uk and uh triumph wasn't doing so well in the 80s the 70s were hard they weren't doing so well in the 80s and he bought the whole facility to tear it down and build houses there but then you know the locals in their area and the, the die-hard triumph people from the 80s said you can't kill this brand and he ended up buying the brand at the same time that he bought the land and then he decided to, to take it on. And uh, from what I understand, they, the guys were telling me that he doesn't take any money out of it. He makes so much money building houses that he can run Triumph and continue to reinvest all the money that comes into it, uh, into making the brand better. So since then, the last 35 years, they say, has been you know a huge jump up for, for Triumph. Um, and now they're getting... More and more into racing. In 2019 they started providing all the spec engines for the Moto 2 class and that Moto GP you know street bike series. So that's cool. They're into racing there, um, learning a lot from that. And then that the stuff that they're learning from racing, they're implementing into their street bikes. But Triumph is an older demographic. You know, the people that know about Triumphs know about them from the 70s when they used to race off-road. They know they're street bike riders. They're older guys that can afford street bikes. They want to get people on Triumphs sooner to sell more bikes to people. And the best way to do that is to get off-road bikes, get younger demographic. And that was kind of the start of this Triumph 250F. And now, you know, the 450 that's coming later in the year, sounds like we might be able to go to, uh, there's an idea that we could go to the the Triumph headquarters and the Triumph facility in George is in it Atlanta. It's in Georgia, yeah, it's yeah. Matt
1: Walker's old facility, I yeah. believe. Yeah, and and go there, and uh, it was just a pitched idea. Yeah, yeah. That it would be cool and uh, cool to where, go. Where the next intro would be for the four fifty. you know. Yeah. And it's cool that they're already thinking that far ahead. Yep, they've already learned from the intro from dealing with all of us for yep. two days, and how could they make the next intro better? Yep. What do we need? Um. So so that that's all a plus, right? They're all pushing forward. And uh the goal is to obviously sell more adventure bikes. I made a new adventure bike this last year. Yep. Like we talked about earlier, Jeff Stanton has I think 15 to 20 bikes. He does like 6 or 7 rides a year. Yep. Uh eight customers only. And uh he talked how close like you meet and greet and like he really knows the consumer and the customer when they leave, when they leave Michigan and all the trails. Yep. So they're pushing in a lot of ways, street bikes, adventure bikes, uh, cool remake of like old bikes that they had that are trendy. Um, you know, it's not just the greaser style old flat track racer guy or whatnot. You know, they're, they're branched in a lot of different ways.
0: Yep. So I think most people are interested in how the bike felt, um, what were you expecting with an aluminum frame in that style? Because this aluminum frame is totally different than what we see on the Japanese bikes, but it's very similar to what we see on the YZ125 and YZ250. I've made that connection quite a bit. What do you think about it? Because you've ridden a lot of YZs. I mean, do you think it's similar, or do you not see the do you not see the similarities?
1: No, I, I definitely see the similarities. You know. Obviously, if you look at a lot of Yamahas, uh, they have soft triple clamps. On the Uh, two-strokes? Even on the four-strokes, you know, they don't have machine clamps. They have forged clamps. Yeah. All that kind of stuff. Triumph looked at comfort, so they looked at soft triple clamps. Yeah. The spine frame, and then they gave a really good reason about the gas, low center of gravity to get gas low instead of putting it up high. Yeah. And one of the reasons why they did that. Yeah, some of it looks like KTM, some of it looks like a Yamaha. You know, the new factory edition KTM has the cutouts in the back, uh, shock the tower. shock yeah. tower and all that. The Triumph frame has all that. Um, obviously, the foot pegs and everything from a photo or from far look similar to an Austrian brand, Yeah, but up close are quite different. Yep. Um, we did pack them full of dirt a little bit today, mm-hmm. so that was a little different. Um, brake pedal tip was really high quality. Shifter was long and different. Yep. Um, overall I, I was actually really impressed with the whole process for a first time. Yeah. It wasn't like it was an all new bike and it was their first time. Obviously it was a new bike. So they're going all out. I mean, we had steak dinner two nights in a row. Uh, I think this is a Hilton. I didn't even think it is too. Yeah. Yeah. Hilton, you know, (laughs) nice comfy beds. Yeah. Uh, even, even the guy that shoveled us to the track, he's cool. Yeah. Was super cool. Old dude. The shuttle bus was nice. Uh, they were super present and easy to find at the airport. So like, there's definitely no lack in communication and emails. And I've had three or four emails already come through from the day of testing. Yeah. Um, overall the bike, I, I wanted it to be good. Because I want good things for the sport. Yeah. But I didn't have high hopes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I not on. I didn't go to any East Coast Supercrosses. So I didn't watch Evan Ferry or J- Jalik Slur, uh ride the bikes. Yeah. Um, obviously watching TV. It's kind of hard to hear how they run on the TV. So I didn't really know too much. I went to the AIM show in Vegas a couple weeks ago. Yep. They had a booth and display, so I got to walk around and see the bikes and do all that. Yeah. So I knew they looked good. Like, the finish looks good. Like, the axle block looks factory. It does, huh? Yeah. It looks cool, right? Like, it's all pre-sunk. And if you're maybe a it's mechanic a that's not so great, like, their axle block's kind of hard to screw up. Yep. Like, sometimes you can spin the axle blocks. People over tighten bolts all the time. It's quite common. Yeah. Um. Everything was like blended into the plastic, no bolts rubbed on anything. They even put a nice little plastic guard over the master cylinder on the rear brake. Yeah. The brake pedal tip was sharp, foot pegs were sharp. So, like, detail to every little item they had on the bike. Yeah. It looked really clean.
0: Yeah. Um, They took great ideas, built hubs. So, we talk about the different, like, how the similarities to KTM. Yep. Let's rattle off. All the similarities we can think about. This is, let's do like a quick rundown of all the similarities. Engine look. The look.
1: Uh, Obviously, the clutch, the Brembo clutch, brakes are are one thing, right? Yeah. Uh, The wheels from a distance, if you're not up close, it would look like the hub and spokes were similar. Obviously, the spokes are different. Uh, The hubs were made by Triumph in house. Yeah. They do have uh, two bearings on the drive side like ktm yeah but they're definitely different the swing arm was probably one of the coolest things on the bike because it wasn't they didn't make it out as a a function more of like a design key yeah um all their little brackets look nice they had small bolts on the linkage
0: what else is different what else is similar to ktm like the belleville washer spring inside of the clutch the bore and stroke are exactly the, the same, same in and the engine as the 22 ktm engine not this not the 23 and 24 But the 22, it's the exact same bore and stroke inside the engine. Uh, It has quick shift. KTM has quick shift. Uh, What else can you think of that's exactly the same as KTM? The, the, The triple clamps look the same as KTM, but they're not. They're actually, from what we understand, forged aluminum instead of CNC machined. But the way they're painted, they look similar in photos. But then you get up close and personal, they're actually different than... The shape and and uh, of the KTM triple clamps. You know the starter on the
1: engine looks Does almost it? identical. Yeah, Oh, uh, the water pump looks really yeah. close. Yeah. Um, obviously it's not a steel frame, but the frame looks yeah. really close. I forgot if we could take the gas tank. I wanted to ask today if yeah. they would take the gas tank off for a photo, but we just forgot. Forgot, and we got to ride all day. We rode a lot. So, um,
0: what other differences are similar to the
1: Yamaha? Uh, part, the lower portion of the frame looks very similar to the Yamaha. Why is he two strokes though? Yep. The swing arm at a glance looks more Yamaha. Obviously the KYB shock, the linkage,
0: all that kind of stuff looks. It's got KYB spring forks like Yamaha. Yep. But it has different internals, the AOS rather than the SSS. So that's different than Yamaha. Is there any other similarities to Yamaha? You know, they kind of have a little bit of bits
1: and pieces that look similar to everything. Yeah. But their own their own touch to it.
0: Yeah. And then it's similar to Honda because Honda's the lightest 250 in the class right now at 219 pounds. And this one we haven't weighed it on our own scale yet, which it's always different when you get it at home and put it on your own scale. But it's a claimed weight of around 219, 220. Um, when you do the math on, on it. So that'll be interesting to see how much it weighs when we get at home. Um, yeah, they t- they talked
1: about piston life 45 hours, Yeah, which is good for a consumer, you know, the 23 or yeah, 23 owner's manual on the YZ450 calls for a piston change at like 12 hours. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, not that it needs that, but Everything's always for safety. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, they were claiming that you could get 45 hours out of the piston in this and that the dealers will be knowledgeable to be able to help people with that. Yeah. And,
0: uh, yeah. Some technical details that we didn't really get super detailed in on the video was the Wi-Fi connectivity from your phone to your bike for mapping it. Uh, Yamaha pioneered that idea, came out with it. Um, they've done a great job of continuing to improve it over the years I think last year was a huge step up I'm trying to think if it was it was 23 yeah when they came out with the updated app and super simple to move the slide bar to increase traction control but also increase throttle response um, now KTM has that system for 24 and a half the factory editions with lipro but triumph the first ever you know 250 motocross model has that ability to connect your phone to your bike, but you can't customize your maps. You can only use the maps that they've pre-programmed into the, into the app. So, uh, they have 10 maps in that app. Uh, and you can choose from those maps for specific tracks situations. They have a map specifically set up for the Acropovic exhaust system, which, you know, the factory team's running that exhaust system and, uh, they have a map that's, you know, supposed to be good for that. So, Today, we didn't get to try those maps, though, because I don't really know the reason. We didn't get to connect our own phone to the bike, and uh, and they gave us, you know, the bike comes with map one and map two. Map one, light off, is the most aggressive, the most powerful map that it has. Light on map two is more mellow. I, d- I tried the bike with map two. I tried the bike with traction control. It definitely detunes the bike a ton. That's pretty much something you're only going to use if you're a novice and you're really looking for traction. Or if you're you weigh 120 pounds and you're kind of new to the 250 F and you're a young kid. But if you're a heavier guy, like me, 170 pounds, uh pro guy, intermediate guy, you want all the power you're you're not worried about traction control in a 250. Um No, but they did do a good job with quick shift. You did it like wasn't that.
1: quite as sensitive. Um and you couldn't hear the cut as much. Uh-huh. As the other bikes. Um, I still don't like it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not not a fan of it. Yeah. But I do hear a lot of older people or people that have rode street bikes. So maybe if a street bike guy ventures into buying a motocross bike, they like that stuff. I have a lot of friends that have bought the KTMs, and they love that feature.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Even I was talking with the Triumph guys today. Like, I don't like the idea of hearing. I don't like the idea of quick shift because I know what it's like. I'm more comfortable shifting. I ride so many different bikes that I don't get really super, super comfortable on one bike, which means if I rode the quick shift all the time, then I could get used to it. But because I'm switching between, it's hard to get used to. But the difference is is that it shifts up almost instantly, but it cuts the ignition. So the bike sounds like it's cutting out and dying for a very split second and that's just not a confidence inspiring feeling, especially if you're shifting on the jump. It's not that it actually, you know, slows down really, but it just sounds like it's gonna die. And sounds like it's dying. And uh that's the the part that I don't like about quick shift. But I think if you grow up and you jump on a 250 F, you're 125, you jump on a 250 and it has that and you just use it full time, you get used to it. If you ride the bike and you own the bike and you use it full time, you'd get used to it. It's definitely good for starts. But for guys that are like me, I'm not, I'm not into, it's just a scary sound. (laughs) That's pretty much the worst part. Yeah. Maybe I just haven't put (coughs) enough trust
1: into it to ride it long enough to get comfortable. Yeah. Just like you said, we never ride one bike long enough. I get DMs all the time. Hey, what's your favorite bike? And I'm like, well, I don't really have a direct favorite bike. Like I'm not going to the dealership and buying one. Yeah. Um, I have bikes that I think the engine lasts a long time. I got bikes I think the chassis is good, suspension's good. Yeah. You know, they all have their pluses. Yeah. Um, it's incredible where, where all the manufacturers have taken the bikes. Yep. So, overall, it's just kind of the zone or the vibe, you know. Like, Yamaha has Blue Crew, KTM has Orange brigade uh cowie's got the team green program with amazing contingency this year yeah some of the vet classes pay a thousand bucks what yeah it's crazy really yeah um obviously i'm not racing enough to yeah go buy one but i mean if i was chasing a series or like an east coast guy where there's lots of vet racing and i thought i could win you could pay for a bike pretty quick making a thousand bucks yeah it's awesome you know that's really awesome. So I don't know what Triumph will have in the terms of contingency or any of that, but at dinner they did talk about a amateur program that they hope to see lead into getting some of these kids on the teams, not where it's like a two-year deal and then, yeah. oh, you're going to turn pro, bye. You're yeah. done. Yeah. Um, they did say that they're going to uh, deal or support uh, some help through yeah. the dealers. I don't know what that means or what that looks like. Yeah. But overall they will uh if they could put all the pieces that they're working on or what we saw here yeah i think that they'll set a new standard and uh be interesting be interesting and some people will have some chasing to do
0: for a brand new brand yeah yeah from the from for me from the media standpoint you know there wasn't much communication with triumph before this event uh i talked to him at the end like towards the end of last year like, hey, what's the plan? Are we going to get to ride the new bike? And they said, yeah, you'll get to ride it. We'll have a press intro, and we're not sure when or where. And then, you know, it came up, it happened. And and uh, before, it was it's kind of like you don't believe it, it's real until you get there. And it's kind of the same thing with this bike and this brand. It's like you don't really know what to think until you actually swing a leg over it and ride it. Um, but I was really impressed with how humble everybody was, how open they were to share Um, you know, there was no real question that we asked that they didn't give us an answer for. And, uh, if they didn't have the answer, they called their engineer and, uh, you know, got the answer or went and found the engineer if he was at the track with us and got the answer. So that was cool. Um, cool to see how kind of humble they are in that aspect and, uh, family owned. I think that's a big part of it. Ricky talked about it when I interviewed him earlier, they're owned by one guy, you know, John Bloor. Uh, his son Nick Bloor, is running Triumph, and you can tell that uh, they don't have to go to a big corporation to get approval. They don't have to go to a big board of directors. You know, it's one guy that's got to approve it, and uh, I think that family a- atmosphere relays into uh, into the end product.
1: Yeah, but I mean, you've been around long enough. You've seen that with gear companies. You've seen that with. Aftermarket parts, right? They get bought. Uh, advertisers we dealt with for over the years, like we used to be able to call someone and it was their product. They're super proud of it. They deal with it and moves
0: on from there. And then that just doesn't have that at home feel touch. Yeah. Yep. So it's uh it was definitely a cool experience. I think we need to wrap this up. It's eleven oh four. Trevor's still working on the video. It probably probably has another hour or two. Three? What do you more think? Hours. Three? Yeah. Three hours. <laughs> and we're going to be up in five hours. Oh, boy. <laughs> yep. Life of being a media guy. And uh, we, we still have, I still have some more work after this. But uh, it was a really cool day. Definitely a fun day. Thank you guys for tuning into this podcast. Um, we have a lot of cool stories. And uh, obviously, With anything, you get better as time goes on. This is our kind of first podcast we've done in a while. Um, We want to start doing some more, mostly because uh, there's so much that gets lost. And I think people appreciate the authentic kickback conversation. But if you guys like this podcast or if you don't like this podcast, please let us know. We do learn from uh, opinions um I let it I, I said that on the beta video. If you want us to race this at a national, let us know. And we got quite a few people wanting to race us race the beta 450 at a national. So uh if you guys haven't checked out that video, it's on our channel. Um we're working on testing that bike as well. So two brand new brands in you know into the motocross world. Uh, now the same thing, talking to Triumph today and my experience on it. Hopefully I'll get to race it at a national. Hopefully uh that works out. Um, but yeah, let us know, email me, Josh Mosman, mxa at gmail.com. If you have any, you know, praise reports go a long way. They keep us going and, uh, and you have any, uh, requests or opinions on how we can make this kind of stuff better. Um, thank you guys for, for listening. Dennis, thank you for coming all the way out here, spending, uh, three days, a travel day, a ride day and another travel day to, uh to help the MXA record crew and keep us going. It's, it's, uh, it's good stuff. Yeah. No, I'm always thankful to come. Keeps you relevant,
1: learn new things. You know, it's, it's all around good. No,
0: no downfalls to it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks to Trevor for grinding out this video. Thank you guys for listening. See you in the next one.